You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is To Stir With Love, a criminal justice reform podcast. And as promised, our expansion uh, from where we had been talking about up till this time is really uh, has taken on steam, and tonight we have a very, very special program. We have a, a number of guests. This, uh, Rabitza Kolokowski, of course, is here as well, uh, who is the head chaplain, head of chaplaincy in, in Weimart, but we also have a number of other very special guests, people who are uh, in this area, who can speak about it intelligently and hopefully generate uh, the type of ideas that are necessary uh, for people to hear in terms of making real solid change. Um, I'm going to be introducing them as we go on, but first uh, we have someone who is uh, on a very li- a very tight schedule, uh, a person who is a pioneer in the field of dealing with the Jewish incarcerated, uh, someone who was doing this before um, it was even vaguely popular, uh, someone that that I have known for many years and, and have a tremendous amount of respect for, Rabbi Yaman Shaiman, who is the longest serving uh, shliach of Chabad in Illinois. Um, he is uh, the executive director of Camp Gan Israel there, which all my children, I believe, attended. And I would say some of the greatest uh, spiritual moments of their lives were had during those summers. Uh, and Rabbi Yaman, uh, I have a great Akarsato for that. But for tonight, the reason why I reached out to you was because of your incredible work that you've been doing for, is it is it about 35 years now already, Rabbi Yaman? It's uh, since 1980. 1980. So that's actually close to, that's basically 41 years, uh, I believe, if I'm correct in the math, over 40 years being involved in 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 in, in, nur- in ministering, and in connecting and caring and making changes for uh, the unfortunate people who have been uh, placed in prison, and, and dealing with them in 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 ways that are really incredible. So, Rabbi Yaman, I know your your time is limited here for us. I know you've also uh, have an institute that is dedicated uh, to this. I know it's uh, named after your 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 wife who passed away, Tzichra Baruch, and it's called the Hinda. It's the Hinda Institute. Is that what it's called? The Hinda Foundation. Hinda Institute. The Hinda Institute, and I know Chabad is always very stark on what Rosh Tevis mean and Hinda. Why don't you tell us again what Hinda stands for? Besides the name of your, of your late wife, it also stands for? Hinda is an acronym for Helping Individuals Ascend. Well, that is perfect because that is what we've been talking about for so many weeks. So, Rabbi Yaman, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the incredible work you've been doing over the last four decades and your hashkof in general to help us motivate us and, and to really set the course for, for what this podcast what we want to try to do. So go ahead, please, Rebbe Yom. Yes. Uh, well, I, well, I'd like to start with is something that just happened in the state of Illinois. It just, just happened in the last month. Officially, in the Illinois Department of Corrections, uh, the term inmate is no longer allowable. People inside, people inside the Illinois de- 
Department of Corrections are no longer allowed to be referred to as inmates. The official name now is individuals that are incarcerated. So that's part of our Reshetavis, helping individuals ascend. We were ahead of the curve and uh, the Rebbe for years has always, you know, uh, spoken about not calling people inmates. You could call them clients, you could call them, uh, but here the the word, this podcast, this whole idea, this uh, there's a wave taking on the country and uh, uh, this this word is going out that something is amiss, something is wrong. The whole concept of incarceration is it's we know it's anti Torah. Um, it's the the non Jewish world is beginning to see it's it's just anti humanity. It's so, just inhumane. So so Rabbi, you said that the Rebbe was ahead of the curve. Was I know you were involved in this for so many years. Was, was the Rebbe the, the force that encouraged you to do this thing, which Kamat was unpopular, and, and, and I'm sure many other shulchan were not doing? Was the Rebbe, did the Rebbe choose this for you, or did the Rebbe advise you on this? Uh, it, the, uh, the Rebbe began in the middle 70s, um, focusing on three groups of individuals. Every holiday that came around, uh, the Rebbe made it a point to make sure those that are on the margins of society and disenfranchised and forgotten should not be forgotten. And those would be people that are in um, hospital, hospitalized and away from the yontif, people that are incarcerated and military, you know, especially always for years, always reaching out to especially the IDF, the soldiers in Israel. But in general, the Rebbe, um, encouraged uh, to not forget those people that are on the edges of society and to make sure that they can partake. Uh, in 1980, when I came to Chicago, the night before I left, there was a surprise for Brangen in 770. Usually the Fabrangans would take place 9.30 in the evening. One day after Mincha, this is the day before I flew to Chicago. There was a surprise for Brangen. And in that very for Brangen, the Rebbe did bring up this, um, this area. It was right before Purim to make, sure, to make sure that the people that are incarcerated, hospitalized, people in the army, they're able to be taken care of for Purim. And then obviously for Pesach. So the very night before I left, that topic was spoken about in 770 by the Rebbe. I did not come to Chicago to visit prisons. It was not part of my resume. Rabbi Moskowitz, Allah Vashalom, he hired me to assist him in the work of Chabad, run the camp, and and, and prison had nothing to do with it. Uh, By divine providence, within 30 days of me arriving in Chicago, a chassid from Crown Heights called and Uh, called our office and said he has a friend, a business, uh, somebody who does business with, whose son got incarcerated and wanted to make sure that we can make sure, reach out and make sure he gets matzah and grape juice. He gets what he needs for the Pesach Seder. So within a month of me being in Chicago, I already was on the phone with the prison in Joliet, uh, which is no longer in, in service anymore, and spoke to the chaplain, brought down what the man needed. And over the next 
I would say six months, it, just things came my way, this family, that family, and um, something touched me deep in my neshama where I said, this is for me. And, and, and the few people I met, I was so touched and so disturbed of their situation that I made a, a mental note in my mind that I want to make sure that there is uh, no Jew in the state of Illinois that's incarcerated. Any Jewish individuals that are incarcerated, I want to make sure I see them at least once a month and do everything to ease their pain and encourage them and lift their spirits and bring them hope and make them smile. And uh, Reb Gershon, who you'll hear from later, he, he accompanied me on more than one trip to prisons. As, uh, he was one of the, you know, one, one of my uh, founding members, so to say, with, of support, helping me continue the work. Uh, and uh, as we went on, I saw the families are also in pain. And then, uh, so we were in touch with the mothers and we had a, a group that would meet every month. We would have a support group. Uh, uh, we'd meet and uh, discuss things. And that's how the organization grew initially from this group of parents and uh, until we are where we are today. Um, and, so, it's, uh, it's, so it's interesting that although the, the Rebbe didn't necessarily give you the shlichus, you understood from the, that, that uh, mimer that he said or that farbrengen that he had that there was obvious Ashkocha protest that that message was something you took to heart. Did, did you ever consult the Rebbe throughout these years about certain shilas or things you should do? Did, did you ever write the Rebbe about this topic? Because I know the Rebbe was the right. The Rebbe was still was. I know everyone. Uh, every Chabad Chosid writes the Rebbe about what's going on with his life. Did you ever receive any hadrocha from the Rebbe about what you should, uh, how you should emphasize things? Uh, I actually did not. Uh, I you know. Uh, the the uh, structure in Chabad is, you know, if I have something I needed to discuss, I would speak with my, uh, with the head shliach, who at that time was Rabbi Moskowitz of blessed memory, and uh, I would speak to Rabbanan. I never had something where I needed to uh, ask the Rebbe, Shaila, but I do have people that, um, you know, students of mine that became Bali Chuva that went by the Rebbe by dollars, that, 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 the Rebbe was involved with, with Shidduchim, with helping uh, ex-offenders uh, get a Shidduch, and we're talking about serious crimes. So the, the Rebbe definitely knew about the people I was working with, and they had contact. And it's interesting, um, one of the campaigns of the Rebbe is, was, is, is Tanya's should be printed all over. And I think Rebbe Gershner, who's on the, on, on the line with us tonight, he actually went with Rabbi Vogel, who now is the director of Aleph in Pittsburgh, Rabbi Vogel and Gershon Sternberg, the other ones went on Yutes Kislev one year. They went to the Joliet prison and they printed a Tanya there. And it's the only Tanya where the Rebbe gave permission to move over the a stamp of Kahas in the middle of the Tanya and move it over a little. And there's the stamp of the Illinois Department of Corrections in that Tanya. <laughs> Wow, uh, that is only, pro that is probably a, a a rare item that you could probably sell on eBay for quite a bit of money. No, <laughs> not that you'd want to. Um, uh, right. uh, and and then and Rabbi Vogel flew to New York, brought a copy of the Rebbe of that Tanya uh, before the Fabrengen on your test kiss life. Wow, so that was so yeah, actually. That's, that's 
And that was, was it translated or was it just the, the Tanya and Rosh The small black uh, prison and we open it up as bars and the others. <laughs> great, great. I, you know, one of the things a couple of days ago when you agreed to talk with me, um, I got the impression from our initial conversation that there were a lot of people who, although you were always motivated and clearly with Shem Shamayim, there was people who perhaps didn't uh, understand what you were doing. And maybe there was even some, did you ever feel that you were out there alone doing something? I know that the institution has grown, people like the, so, uh, that, are, that like you say, Gershon and others. Uh, did you sometimes feel that you were in this lonely place? That there, now, of course, we're all with you and we, and we all look at you as, as our hero and as our pace setter. But did you sometimes feel that you were out there all by yourself and that, um, that the other Rabbonim and other Rabbeim and other people didn't get what you were doing? Yeah, well, it's very interesting. Uh, that de definitely, um, there are people who, even the people that understand, they say, you do it. Well, we're happy you're doing it. Don't ask us to get involved. You know, they understood there's a need. Uh, but how misunderstood uh, Jewish individuals in incarceration are in, in the 80s, um, uh, one place which I could not get into is there was a, another Jewish organization. I don't even want to use the name of the organization because it's not what the point is. They had an older rabbi. There were a couple of older rabbis that were um, going into, one was going into Cook County Jail. One was going into the uh, federal prison in downtown Chicago, the MCC. So I uh, have a, a, a point of view. I don't like to, you know, rush somebody out of a job or, or move them along. So I, I called the rabbi at Cook County Jail to see if I could uh, supplement or enhance or uh, volunteer. And this is, the, this is the exact quote he told me. He said, listen, you don't want to come to Cook County Jail. There's two Jews here. One is a drug addict. The other is a murderer. And they should both burn in Gehenna. <laughs> now, this is the Jewish chaplain that's going in to visit the jail. So... Even the chaplain didn't get it, and he's the chaplain. So, oh. so, so yeah, but then, and and the, and obviously, there's people who weren't going in, probably had that same type of an attitude. Like, what do we want to do? This is a shanda, and these, and and we find that the families of these people are actually treated the same way. There are people that are asked to leave the congregation, that are asked to the the families, like they're somehow, um, you know. Uh, part and parcel of the crime. Right. And, and this, I know we're going to be talking about this a little bit later uh, in this podcast about how the families are suffering, and we'll get into that soon. You know, Rabbi Shimon, you mentioned before about the Torah's perspective on all of this. And uh, I know that, um, you know, you didn't need the 40 years to tell you that this there was something rotten in the system, but um, that this is something which is, is, is in a way dehumanizing. Why, why don't you expand a little bit about how what's going on now, the two million people that are being incarcerated in the United States, how that is sort of antithetical to what the Torah would want uh, in terms of how it deals with the B'nai Yisrael, who are poshayim, who, who, who have to be dealt with. Why don't you uh, deal with that in contrast the, what's happening in, 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 the, in the state and federal systems to the, I, the vision the Torah gives us? Yeah, well, I would, I would like to use, uh, uh, the, I think the Torah view is 
let's let's uh, compare it to the medical field. Sometimes people medically um, become not well and need to be removed from society uh, to have an operation, to have a procedure done on them. They go in, there's something wrong with them physically. They need to have this procedure done. After the procedure is done, they go through their um, they, they go through their rehab and then they re-enter into society cured and healed individuals. So the Torah's view, I believe, is that the neshama becomes ill. There are spiritual illnesses. A person who would want to, it says that a Jew doesn't do a sin unless a spirit of folly goes into him. So he's insane. He becomes he has a mental illness, a, a spiritual mental illness. He does these crazy things. He steals, he murders, he does this, he does that. And the Torah has remedies of, of, of how do you repair this person. This person has to either pay a knas. Uh, if it's a, a money thing, you, you repay. Sometimes there's a fine, but that it rectifies the situation. Then you go back to what you were doing. Or there's corporal punishment for some of the um, uh, uh, things in the Torah, there's capital punishment. And then there's the closest the Torah comes to any incarceration is a case of uh, an unintentional uh, manslaughter. Uh, and it's called uh, the um, Torah set up a system called a city of refuge, the R.I. Miklot, and also the cities where the Levium live. And this person would temporarily, since this happened through him, it indicates there's some spiritual illness inside of him. So he would have to get repaired. He has to have something. He has to go in an environment where he could find healing. So he would go to these cities of R.A. Miklod. He would not be in his regular city. He would have to relocate. And however, his wife and children were able to go there with him. Even his teacher uh, would sometimes go there with him. Uh, or if he went to the city of the Levium, he was living in an environment where there's good people, there's fine people. And by being there for a certain amount of time, I think it was till the Kohen Gadol uh, would pass away, he would have to stay over there. And then uh, afterwards, he would re-enter society again. So the Torah's view of, of, uh, of how you deal with uh, criminal activity is it's a spiritual illness. You need to go through procedures to heal. But once you're healed, and, and the way America works, besides the point, the, besides the fact in prison, there is no, many times there is no, now they're starting to um, make prisons with programs, but many times there are no programs for healing. A person's just warehoused, it's warehousing human beings, and they're with the worst of society. They're not, they're not learning from anybody good over there. Uh, because the other people they're with are just, you know, might even be worse. Somebody goes in for a drug offense and put in the same place with murderers and robbers and rapists. And, 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 and you're not, you're not going to learn anything good over there. And then uh, the, uh, to compound the whole problem, the way the system is in America, there's no exit strategy in most cases. And therefore, the person isn't even coming out healed. And not only they're not coming out healed, even if they do go through, they are labeled with these uh, registries and with different uh, uh, limitations where they can't even continue their life. Imagine a guy who goes to the hospital. Oh, we're going to discriminate a guy who had a heart attack. He can't open up a bank account. The guy who had Yenemakla, we're not going to let him come and get a job. That's what we're doing with the prisons. 
We label these people and then they can't even continue with their life. There's no healing. And then there's compounded upon that. It's a punishment upon an unpunishment and the punishment seems to last forever, never goes away. So that's nowhere in the Torah and this is so wrong. And it doesn't make sense in a, a country like America for this to be going on. Benjamin, very passionate. And, and again, I think many of the sentiments that you've said and the ideas you've said have been echoed uh, by, by us on our, on our program here. I just want to, I'm not pushing back. I just, and I want to bring in Rabbi Yitzchok because I know that, um, uh, that he is uh, not only my partner here, but I know he's itching to, to, to interact and talk with you. Um, so I just want to push back for one second. Then I want to bring in Rabbi Yitzchok is that uh, you know, we talk about you know, killing Bishogeg, um, and, 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 and we know the classic case that the Mishnah speaks about is someone who is on a roof, and he is somehow patching a roof or doing something on top of there, and as he is pushing down with the, uh, with the utensil that he has, the, the, whether it's some sort of scraper or something, uh, he slips. And either the utensil itself becomes like a projectile that kills a person underneath, or he himself falls on someone underneath. That is what the Mishnah describes as the classic person who goes into Golas, who goes to the Irmiklot, who has to go into exile. Now, on the surface, that seems to be, well, uh, I guess isn't was, that's accidental. And yet, I think from what you've said, uh, that, that he has to spend perhaps many, many years and working and being altered in a way, by the Levium and the other teachers that are there, indicates that many times the action that occurred at the end, which is a person dying, was really a result, like you say, of a spiritual flaw, but I think even a psychological flaw, a, a flaw of hubris, a flaw of, you know, I can be reckless. Uh, I can talk on the cell phone while I'm driving. And, and even though, oh, it's an accident, I didn't see the person there, or uh, you know, I, 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 I pushed, I didn't mean to hit your car because I was, I was in, in a rush uh, to get out. Well, why is what you need the most important thing in the world that you don't register what's going on? So I think that, that what's, what's happening is we're not even, we're, we're taking root causes. Yes, it's terrible this person is, has died. And the Goel Adam, the relative of that person, is never going to understand that it was really an accident. He's out there to kill you. But what we're going to work on you is we're going to go beyond the act that occurred. We're going to so much go through a psychological profile of what led you to become this reckless, selfish person. And you need to really own up when you're in the Ir Miklat to that selfishness that, 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 that manifested itself to the point of not caring. Um, so, so you, you know, it, it, I know what you said, it's spiritual, but I think it's also, there's, there's ways that the person can see beyond. Yitzchak, I want you to, I want to bring you in over here because um, I know you have some things to say to Rabbi Yaman, because I know you're in some way on the same wavelength and you've had a lot of experience in this area as well. Rabbi Yitzchak? Yes, yes, well, I, I'm enjoying listening. But I, I certainly had this same approach before I started working in the prison system, and even the first few years that I was working in the prison system. But I, I do see that things have changed. I, th- I do see that we do have more programs. We are uh, incarcerating far less people, and and really trying to focus on the people who really need 
to, to be served in this way and it's a service to society as well so it's it's uh it's not so posh you know uh, the way, Go ahead, the way so speak your mind Yitzchak. speak your yeah, mind yeah. is we're all friends so you, you, what you're yeah, saying yeah. is you think Rabinyamin is painting a more uh, too uh, too drastic of a picture coming from illinois where he is Maybe things are different in Illinois. It could be. I don't know. But I just, my experience is, I, I, I guess I would agree. I, in the federal system, I, when I was in the, you know, working as a chaplain in federal, in a federal prison uh, about twelve years ago, I, that's that's kind of the the hashkafa that I had. The same that Ruben Yelman's saying that that it's, uh, it the whole thing is is, is gefährlich. It's counterproductive. And I think in certain ways the, the federal system still is uh, today, although there's been a lot of reform. Um, but but working, but I also see a lot of people who uh, are unjustly were unjustly incarcerated. At least that's the way I perceived it. Maybe I was naive at the time and so forth. Um, you know, and, and maybe I maybe I've gotten a little bit more rough around the edges working in the prison system. But I also, on the other hand. Have seen people really have their lives turned around uh, very, very much. So I, 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 and actually helped. And and again, we don't. Uh, yeah, it, it's true. You you know, even ten years ago, you would you would see nonviolent drug offenses, uh, people being locked up together with murderers. It 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 boggled the mind, and it was counterintuitive, and it was destructive we i don't that's not happening as much as it, it was anymore you know in general if someone is going to be incarcerated today although there are plenty of people who still continue to be incarcerated from those old sentences uh but even a lot of those uh are not not quite the same but the uh the amount of incarceration for certainly for non nonviolent drug offenses and a lot of the other has, things has started to go down. The, uh, so yeah, and, I know Rabbi Yaman is I know Rabbi Yaman has to go. Rabbi Yaman, so I, is it possible? I know you have to leave now. Is it possible that there is a difference between states? Is it possible Pennsylvania and New York that and Virginia, which is where uh, uh, Yitzhak is, is is familiar with, could be Illinois might still be worse? Is it possible? Now, I totally agree with what Ritzuk is saying. In the state of Illinois, they've started re-entry uh, places. I, I, I was talking about the overall concept. In the state of Illinois, there is, like I just said, they just uh, not allowed to say inmate anymore. And they've done, and there is programming. Uh, we still, though, are in touch with many individuals who ha this hasn't touched. It's it's in the infancy stages. Okay. A lot more has to be done, but I totally agree that it's moving in Illinois itself. It's also moving in the right direction. And there are programs and our centers opening up and they are doing their best to reduce the populations and the populations are being actually reduced. So I agree totally with what Yitzhak says. I don't disagree at all. Rabbi Yemen, so thank you so much for being with us. We're going to obviously schlep you back. And because a, 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 a voice like yours needs to be heard. Thank you so much, Rabbi Yemen. But your wife is here, right? Your wife. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's introduce your wife and uh, Rabbi Gershon as well. Um, uh, Rabbi Yemen's wife, uh, uh, Rebetzin Avigal Shaiman, 
who um, Rebbitson, why don't you speak up for yourself? I don't want to, uh, uh, I don't want to shortchange what it is that you do. So I've been, uh, prior to this, ironically, I worked with um, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Uh-huh. So I, I came into this about three and a half years ago, and I've been intensely passionate when I've seen the pain of the families and those reentering. So I've been doing this about four and a half years, and I've become um, as passionate as my husband. <laughs> what is <laughs> you know, your official, but again, what, officially? I'm called program coordinator. I'm the bureaucrat and the writer and the team. The program um, coordinator for the, Hind, for the Hindu Institute. Correct. And I run, there's a number of programs, but the most important ones are, I have a lot of work I do with the families. Uh, They're called the collateral damage of crime. They're innocent victims, but they suffer tremendous pain and challenges, often their whole lives because they have PTSD, which I can describe a little more. We also now run a national reentry program which has, which has grown our organization by about 20% in reentry with caseworkers, uh, courses, and other types of support. So I coordinate those programs uh, under the direction of my husband, who, who really is the expert, I would say. Is, is it limited to, again, he talked about Juliet and, and, and the um, federal uh, courthouse down in uh, Chicago. Is, are, you, are you all limited to Illinois or do, are you expanding um, beyond? The reentry program is national. Mm-hmm. The family program is a little bit national, but mostly in Illinois. Now everything is Zoom. So uh, if somebody wants our services, they know how to get us. Right. And, and I think, you know, I, I want to bring in uh, uh, Gershon, who is, a, uh, crim- who is a retired criminal defense attorney. Um, he, I think he, I, Gershon, I think you're the first criminal defense attorney that I ever spoke in Torah with. I think so. <laughs> we, we, Gershon, I think we know each other for many, many, many years. Um, your son-in-law is one of my closest friends. Uh, he was my student at one time, and now he's gone way beyond me. Um, so I want to welcome in also uh, Gershon Sternberg, who was a retired criminal defense attorney um, um, and, and, and was involved. I think, you've, I think you were a criminal defense attorney for, um, for about 35 years or so? Well, about 40. About 40 years. Yes. 40 years. So you, and we're talking about Chicago, <laughs> right? We're talking about, we're, ta- we're not talking about, the, the, we're not talking about uh, Kansas. We're not talking about uh, Lawrence, Kansas. We're talking about some Chicago, of the- Chicago, my kind of town. One of the toughest <laughs> places to really be a criminal defense attorney, right? Uh, well, let's put it this way. Uh, there was a lot of crime going on. There still is. Um, I have a few- I've made a list of some points I'd like to address. Uh, okay. Bear, bear with me. I um, will. And uh, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm asking. First of all, uh, I, I would like to show you, give you a little demonstration of how the same uh, uh, description of an activity presented with two different twists can have two totally opposite implications. So, for example, at the beginning of his talk, my dear friend and teacher, mentor, Rabbi Scheinman, pointed out that I went to, you know, that he and I would go to visit the inmates, the the persons uh, incarcerated. 
of the individuals and uh, that we went many times. Now that's way of presenting that, that little story, but it also could be said quite simply like this. Rabbi Scheinman and I went to prison together many times. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. And we always got out. Um, when I first started practicing in the field of criminal defense, one of the um, puzzling that's a good word. One of the puzzling aspects was uh, the, the question of what should the sentence be? What sentence should the judge impose upon a particular defendant for his or her particular crimes? And my puzzlement was like this. How, okay, first of all, we have to bear in mind that the criminal statutes of the various states and, include, and the federal statutes prescribe ranges of sentences for various crimes under various circumstances. The federal system has a, uh, a point system, a guideline system, which is no longer but was mandatory. Here's the point. I would sit be, stand before the court with my client or watch other cases uh, being presented and I'd say to myself, how can a judge sitting there who really doesn't know this individual or very much about him, how can he determine by what's other than the statutes, by what actual realistic practical standard can he or she apply when making such an important decision as to how much time to give an individual? Uh, if, if you stop and think about it, it's an extremely difficult question because here, let's look at science medicine. Generally speaking, doctors know what medications will bring about what results or what forms of treatment are necessary for certain conditions or illnesses. And statistically speaking, they, they, they know uh, that what they're doing is, is more very likely to bring about a, ver a particular result. And of course, the amount of dosage and the particular medications prescribed all depend upon a number of variables, which the doctor takes into consideration. Point being, his decision is to a very substantial extent scientific. It's scientific. Well, what is the science underlying Incarceration. A, a, judge, a judge's determination for how many years to sit in prison. After yeah, how does it? Well, you know, you stop it, 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 and it becomes, it becomes very mechanical. Oh, this crime ten years. That crime five years. This guy twenty years. Life, whatever. It seems to me that it, that to a very substantial extent, these are speculative determinations, and they're they're. They're not based upon science, and when you have a when you have an overcrowded court system like that of Cook County, for example, which it's really the criminal docket is very overloaded. And the last time I heard, the average number of people in the Cook County jail, most of whom were merely awaiting trial, was eleven thousand. So, so I think what you're what you're suggesting, uh, and, and, and I really love the head of steam that you are building, uh, Gershon, is that th this whole system is uh, is built on um, a, a an arbitrary uh, uh, power 
that's now, given to judges. Okay. Right? Well, <laughs> yes and no. The statutes prescribe the range of sentences and the judges work within it. I have to back up and point out to all of us that our criminal justice system, especially the the uh, the system for imposing sentences and choosing what the sentence should or should not be, is based upon a long and historic model going all the way back to com- prior to common law England and used by God knows how many other societies in history. That's what they did. They locked people up. They cut their heads off. They cut their hands off. Uh, the, 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 the system that we have is based upon a very long and substantial historical model. And when we became a, an independent country, uh, we just carried that historic model uh, down to and through today. Uh, now, I, I, I so, want, that, so I, it probably calls for a reexamination. I know Abby uh, uh, Rebetzin Shaima, I know, had a point here too. Um, but and why don't you say that uh, after I just finished this one thing, which is you're right, some of these things are, 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 are 500, 400 years old, and they're based on attitudes. Older than, older than that. Right, but oh, much older. yes, much older. But attitudes, it's not the Torah. It's attitudes that we can change, and there are things that we should change based on a more enlightened society. Uh, Rebetzin Shimon, what did you you wanted to make a point here to what Doctor? What uh, I think I think one of the things that appalled me is that we, um, as simple people, we feel that everyone gets their day in court, and the honest truth is is that forty percent of the people we deal with have mental health or addiction issues. There is nowhere to place these adult people. They get to court, they don't have the money for lawyers, they get public defenders who are often overworked, and they end up, most people do not end up going to trial, they end up having to negotiate, because they can't continue, and when they negotiate, that means they plead guilty, and that might be some of the funnels that fill our prisons, that once they opt to negotiate, then it increases the number of incarceration. So they lose their, their licenses, they lose their freedom, sometimes for very short periods of time. But that's irrelevant if it's a small crime, because once they come out, they're on the reentry cycle, on the recidivism cycle. So would you say, uh, Rabbitson, you know, uh, Gary was talking about, uh, about judges having, you know, applying a system. But in the plea bar, in the plea cases where you plead to a certain, then you don't you don't go in front of a judge, right, Gary? You don't go in front of no, a judge no, no. at all, right? right first of all, I, I want to really agree with uh, Robinson Scheinman. In fact, I was going to bring uh, some of what she said up myself, and, and I'm happy that she came forward. Uh, I would like, first of all, to go back to a point Rabbi Scheinman made: spiritual illness, which goes to the question of what, and I think he, I don't remember if you brought this up or he brought this up, what leads to crime? What leads to crime? And I think spiritual illness, in some cases, many, 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 many cases, definitely correct, for sure. However, there are 
other supplemental or additional reasons. And one of the biggest reasons that I witnessed uh, and became personally aware of was the question, the, 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 the fact of gangs. And this is, uh, this is a real big city problem. Well, it's more than big city, but it's a huge problem. And what, the way a simplified description is like this. So in your poor neighborhoods, your ghetto neighborhoods, let's, I'll just talk about Chicago because that's my familiarity, where my familiarity lies. So you're a kid, you're born in the black neighborhood. Your mother, the, your father, you might not know who he is, or maybe you know who he is, but he doesn't live at home, or he lives at home, but he doesn't work. And he lives at home, and maybe he's a drug addict, and maybe your mother's a drug addict, or maybe he's in jail. Or maybe she's in jail, and maybe you have a whole bunch of siblings, and there's really no order in the house. You want love. You want family, and you want attention. And gangs, in a sense, provide that. They give you family, the other members of your gang. They give you support. They encourage you <laughs> to sell drugs and commit crimes. Uh, and, and they force you to join. You get sucked up in it. It's not even your fault. It's not even that you have a spiritual illness. It's that you're there on the street. You don't really have much to do. There's a tremendous bad influence that you're immersed into in that neighborhood, and they want you. They force you. They make you join. You don't have a choice in many, many instances. The leaders of some of these gangs they're not only uh, vicious, they're smart. They're business people, and they operate on high corporate levels, if you will. Just delete the word corporate, but definitely business. Uh, one point, I'm, I'm going to jump around a little bit. Now, Nobody me, cares let, about let, let me just add that, and I know Yitzhak uh, has some ideas on this as well. Uh, you know, So I think what you're trying to say now, Counselor, is that that judges and juries and and DAs should see many of these people in the Hebrew term as anusim. It's almost like what else could he have done? The life that he was almost destined to happen was a life of crime. And therefore the sentencing requirements or the points that you were talking about, how can you apply them when the person didn't necessarily have the choice to do it, right? Or really, that's well, really you know, it's a, the, the poor kid, he had a bad childhood. He was abused. He was this, he was that. Well, but the statute says 10 to 20 years. Well, that's what he's going to get. Uh, the, the, and I want to jump to the other side of the coin. You know, we talk about the Torah. We talked about the fact that in Torah law, there were no prison sentences. Um, I will tell you, but legislatures and courts and law enforcement is fundamentally concerned with is protecting society. I mean, some of these characters, yeah, they could be redeemed, they shouldn't go to prison, but they're dangerous. And so how does the Torah, how would the rabbis have dealt with, well, let's say that the uh, Sanhedrin was sitting today in Chicago, and they had jurisdiction over all persons, used of crimes should they not 
the concern with protecting society against people who have spiritual illnesses, if you want to call it that. That's what these, that's what the sexual offender databases are all about to give the public notice and warning of who's on your block so that you can be careful and protect yourself. Now I was never a prosecutor. I never wanted to be a prosecutor. I always, my heart was always for the underdog, but I've grown a little older now and, you know, and I try to see both sides of the coin and um, I'll answer from I'll answer from a rabbinic standpoint. It's not because I'm such a great expert. And I do want to bring Yitzchuk and Abby back in, especially um, a point that her husband had raised. So we know that if there is an outbreak, because I'll speak about it, if there was an outbreak of a certain act and it was happening at breakneck pace everywhere, they the Sanhedrin, even the local Sanhedrin of that area. And even the the seven Tove Ha'ir who sort of run the city have a right to meta, uh, to do a meta type of law, a law beyond what's in the books and decide based on their Torah wisdom that we're going to have to either make a, a, an example out of someone and punish someone more than they would have in, in ways that they normally would not in order to to strike fear in society and to make sure that it didn't spread. And they were able to take these measures, even though there was no precedent for them in standard uh, Torah, Torah law. Uh, there was precedent because we see it happening. The king, of course, David Amelech did things like that as well. But the Sanhedrin did have a right when they noticed something, like you were saying, um, that was dangerous people, but we don't know where it fits in. They did have a right to actually uh, react to it and we hope, since they were coming out of Torah, they would react uh, with, with in, in, not in an extreme fashion, but in a way to uproot the problem. Even though, how did, they, how did they protect the public? So again, the, every case obviously was different based on how they read the society. Sometimes they would make an example, even though there wasn't proper evidence, but they knew that this was the person who did it. They would make sure everybody knew that that person was punished and scare others from continuing such a path. Um, that was Makin Ba'onchen Shalom and Adin. And it is a power that they wield, but they wield it very carefully. Um, but but it, the, the Talmud has examples of that. Um, and, and, and you're right, Sanhedrin is different than some um, pencil pusher lawyer, or I'm sorry, a judge, not a lawyer, a judge, I'm sorry, but a pencil pusher judge who, who basically is, has, has you know, the eyes of other people on top of him. And he's saying, well, I had to, I had to sentence him this way because that's what it said in the book. The, the, the Chachmea Sanhedrin were courageous, uh, very dynamic people who weren't afraid of doing something different. And sometimes that is exactly what they did. Um, and I, you know, we, we're, we're sort of pushing our time envelope here. I do want to bring in uh, um, Yitzchak and Abby about a point in Gershon. I want to get your input on this as well. One of the things that Rabbi Shimon mentioned was, uh, and you said it too, the effect on the families. And we talked about people losing their uh, licenses. Uh, lawyers, and I'm sorry, doctors, accountants who were guilty of white collar crime, maybe uh, Medicaid fraud, maybe doctors who invented patients who didn't exist in order to bilk the system. Um, uh, uh, CPAs 
who were working for companies and creating the greatest fraudulent schemes uh, to, 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 to rip off people, and possibly even lawyers who engaged in shady deals with, with people in organized crime, perhaps. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that the rules of, of when you commit a felony is that you lose your licensing. And I think Rabin Yaman was talking about what's going to happen after they serve their time that we have to think about a process of them getting their uh, getting their 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 jobs back, getting their licensure back. Um, and, and I know this is something you've been working with, Abby, right? Um, everyone's working with it. I think I think we need to find solutions. It you know sometimes it's right to incarcerate someone to protect society, and sometimes we question why they're incarcerated. And a lot of times there's catch-all terms. So somebody on the registry could be a 20-year-old with autism who went on a laptop or a cell phone, or it could be somebody with a lifelong addiction. And our criminal systems don't differentiate. They don't treat the trauma. They don't look at real solutions for some of these problems. And then we often don't protect society. One of the areas, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we do, um, one of the areas you're, I want you're to talk to, about. I, I understand you're referring to the sex offender list that, that, that Gershon was talking about. I'm saying we use catch-all terms without actually defining levels and solutions for problems of trauma, of addiction. One of these is people who have licensures. There is an organization, let me give you an example called the, uh, for doctors, called the Office of the Inspector General that was established in, in 2008, initially to deal with elderly patients and protect them. Now they really have targeted private doctors. Um, I think they win 100% of the time. 98% of people plead guilty. Only 2% go to trial because they know they're not gonna win. As soon as they decide to negotiate, they lose their licenses and they can't get them back. Sometimes it's just for something that where I come from in Canada would be called a bureaucratic error, right? And so far, 74, over 74,000 doctors, all private doctors have lost their licenses. And so uh, that seems to me there's like no a tremendous- process? There's no process for them to, to get it back at this point in um, Canada? It's, in Canada, it's different. We have, it's unionized, but in the United States, it's extraordinarily difficult to get it back. And, you know, with just some small parameters or limitations, you know, 46% of providers are not, or don't understand how to make the bills. Is that fraud? Um, the, the rules are so complex and then they can't. So what a waste. These people are going to prison. They're not violent, right? They're going to prison sometimes for um, uh, what we would call fraud. Um, but often for bureaucratic errors, I, I can give you a few examples of that, some stories. And then and then why, what happens? Abby, why can't their lawyer make that clear to the magistrate that they this don't was win. an error? They don't win. It's 100% lose. Um, <laughs> I just have an example. Uh, you can look it up. I have an example. I have somebody who's a doctor. Um, there was a small bureaucratic error. And they threatened her with 25 years of incarceration. She was an Orthodox Jewish woman. And she said, I can't, I can't even, everybody loses. Once they, they go in, they lose. I would not survive 25 years of incarceration. And um, 
And so she had to plead. And what a waste. She was an amazing lawyer, uh, an amazing doctor. And so because it's all catch-all terms and we're not able to differentiate, I would question whether the sentencing is fair and whether we're actually protecting and benefiting society. Sometimes, yes. But with some parameters and some thinking of solutions, I think we could come up with better ways of protecting ourselves. I mean, it sounds like part of the problem, uh, Yitzchok, I, I, I know you're chomping at the bit here, Yitzchok, but it would seem, right? It would seem... I'm, I'm happy to take a break from talking. I'm talking. <laughs> here, okay. You're going to let me do everything here. But Yitzchok, um, and, and, and Abby, don't you think that part of it seems to be, if we're talking about criminal justice reform, it sounds like we also have to, in Canada, we have to somehow reform the labyrinth of socialized medicine there, which 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 everybody ends up stepping into the so trap. It, I'm not talking about Canada. I'm talking about the U.S. Oh, in the U.S. So Right. In Canada, there's less of a problem because there's very strong unions and it's uh, regulated. Okay. Here in the U.S., the private doctors, 46 of the percent of them, don't want to go back, Right or lawyers. These are people with great skill sets, sometimes that made minor errors. And sometimes they made major errors. Sometimes they were in the wrong place in the wrong time. Sometimes they were greedy. But there's a catch-all net for all these people. And and really, is it a solution to incarcerate them? Right? Or people who've gone through tremendous trauma or have addiction, so, so, there are better solutions. All right, I'll play, I'll play devil's advocate for a minute here. I mean, although I, I, I'm very sympathetic to it, Clearly, the man, like we talked about Ir Miklat before, he, the person could have been more careful. There was a sense of hubris. There was a sense of, let's bill it anyway. Okay, uh, what does it make a difference? It's, I have so many things going on. You know, Check the thing, whatever it is. Um, now that they realize they've erred, um, what, something needs to happen, right? There needs to be some change. Uh, what, what, what should we do? Intense counseling? Should, should there be a tremendous financial uh, fee that they would have to pay? Would they have to work for private work at, at at urban city clinics for free for twenty years? It, it, are those some alternatives? You think? Are you asking me? Yes, <laughs> I think they're all good alternatives. Um, I would say, in some cases, incarceration is the solution. In some case, restitution is a solution, although most of these people have huge restitution bills that, that now you've taken away their employment. How are they going to pay these restitution bills? Um, volunteerism is good, or maybe they shouldn't be doing billing. Put them in a hospital system where they're not involved with billing. Uh, put them in a place, because they're not taking the hospitals um, to, these, um, to these things. They can't take on the hospitals. They're taking on the private doctors. And, and the smaller ones. So I think we need to ask who's being incarcerated in society. Is it a certain group of people and not another group? Why are we using catch-all terms? Why aren't we looking for solutions to some of these social problems and recidivism that's just repeating itself over and over and over again and not finding real solutions? Yeah, yeah. Other Ger- than incarceration. Gershon, do you want to try to answer that question? Wow, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me make reference to uh, two f- examples of other countries. I'm not an expert on this. I don't have all the data, 
but I've certainly heard some very interesting things. Singapore, I'm led to believe, and a few other Asian room countries uh, don't have bad neighborhoods. Singapore, I was recently learned, basically doesn't have crime, and they don't have bad neighborhoods. Don't ask me why. I don't know what they're doing, but I think it would really be a good idea to find out in some of the other countries. Uh, I, I, I could answer that. I could, I could answer that. Oh, Go I mean, this was this was news when I was a child, and I think it's still the same thing. Is they have very extreme corporal punishment. They give makos. They give a uh, caning. Is is the, the the punishment for graffiti is caning? Is is our boy Malchus? It's uh, that's that's the way that that they, they deter their crime that way. And the, if you spit, on, it's illegal to acquire chewing gum in yes. Singapore because they don't want you spitting it on the street. If you do, it could be a $1,000 fine, and you can only acquire chewing gum with a doctor's prescription. Uh, one of the Scandinavian countries... I don't think and, that's and, the answer here. I don't think what? I don't think that's the answer in America. I'm not, I, 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 I don't yeah. know. You know, you, uh, <laughs> Rabbi Kibalevitz said, Gershon, do you have a solution? This, this is really... An issue which encompasses, I would say, so much of societal society and is so many, many, many of its problems. Uh, okay, but, what but, you're really asking, what the question is really asking is how do you really improve society on the whole? Well, God knows I don't have the answer, but I can tell you this. That is, I believe, what is required. But, you know, let's talk about Singapore just for a second. And, and this would be a great project for some one of our interns, <laughs> if anybody wants to become our intern, which is what is what is the level, for example, of the crime that Abby was talking about, which was the um, which was, you know, uh, are, are doctors there being arrested or lawyers there being arrested for, uh, for illegal uh, stuff is in other words, this is to me, Gershon, maybe I'm wrong, a little bit of an extension of the or an expansion of the broken windows policy that was in, in, in New York, which was the way you get a, 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 cry, a society that's bereft of crime is start with, with cleaning stuff up on a, on, 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 on a primary level, right? Yes. A, right? Like the broken windows was, you know, because a, a place that seems to be disheveled and everything can happen, that's the, like, that's the hole that, that can expand and swallow the whole society up. So I guess, Yitzhak, is that correct? Singapore doesn't let any cracks in the system happen, and that's why everybody is such good, uh, are, are such solid citizens there? I mean, I, I just I just remember that one case of the caning, I think was in sometime in the 1990s, early 2000s. That's, I believe it was an American boy who wasn't aware, and, and, uh, and I think he was, he was punished with that, and it, that's the, uh, I, and I don't I, I you know I, I don't have any other any other uh, data on the on the issue than than that. Piece. Yeah, I understand from that anecdotal thing, but again, but 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 I think you're also right, Yitzchok, when you say you have one city. Although I think it has what about um, it's a country, it's like a city country in itself. But you are able to institute that type of change. It's very difficult when you're talking about a, a country as big as the United States. Uh, Gershon, yet another uh, country yes, that you wanted yes, to mention. Go ahead. Yes, and it's one of the Scandinavian countries. I, 
I, I think it's Sweden, but I'm not sure. Uh, I, I really can't speak to their whole system, but I can say that I learned that many of their uh, people who have been convicted of crimes, they're not many of them. I don't, maybe it's all of them, but many, many of them, they're, they're placed in, in, uh, given their own apartments, nice apartments. They're not put in cells. They're, they're given a real nice dwelling place to live in. And they, they, I think they're given uh, substantial freedom of movement. It's a very civil kind of treatment you know there's here's an interesting phrase criminal justice system what does that mean that the system is criminal did you ever know a criminal lawyer did you ever know one that wasn't i'm just trying to joke yeah i i hear so this is sort of similar to what our shyman and i were talking about as an ear miklot right yitzchak would you say that swedish thing is sort of like like a miniature ear miklot for every for every prisoner and there's psychological profiling that's done, and and right. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I mean, we we have for certain crimes in America and in other countries, you have house arrest and, and various other things. It's not it's not a, a one size fits all system. Uh, so it's it's not necessarily the way that it's describing. It's it's it. I think Rabbi Kivlevich, you pointed out, you know, America. It's not a homogenous society that you can't really make it suchtel whether it's to sweden or to or to singapore or to any of these other countries because we it, it is such a a diverse country and a large country and it's really a union of of states and each state is a is a union of 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 counties and cities and local governments and it's it's not it's not you can't make a one size fits all approach and and we really don't that's and that's why we don't that's why we have different states have different you know some states have capital punishment and other states don't and some just have it on the books and and don't really use it and and so forth and you have all these different approaches that exist in the in the diverse uh you know uh united states of america it's very difficult to make with any of these things or with anything in in the world, a one size fits all approach, which generally most prisons and most prison systems do have, or have traditionally had that one size fits all approach, but they, they're moving away from that. They're trying new things. uh, And, and that's been part of the history also, meaning the original penitentiary system that started in Pennsylvania uh, which was because Pennsylvania has the oldest uh, uh, prison system in America. It started off as a, a, exactly the word penitentiary coming from penitence from Shuva. They they figured they'd lock a person in a cell with a Bible and they'd have time to be misplated and think about what they've done and and uh, and they'd come out better. But then they found that that didn't work. They, it, it it drove people crazy. It gave people very extreme PTSD and it, it didn't help their situation. So then they try something else and they see that doesn't work. They're going to try something else. And that's, it's a, it's a trial by error. And, and that's, that's what, you know, the history of it is, but I, a few things that we discussed earlier that, you know, I kind of would like to chime in on, I guess one thing is this issue of these plea bargains. There, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Cause on one hand you have a lot of people taking plea bargains because the you know the the threats 
of what kind of uh, if if someone is found guilty, which is almost guaranteed, particularly in the federal system, where they have uh, I think something like a ninety seven percent conviction rate, which includes all the plea bargains in the federal system. It's it's really quite you know the the answer most people give is well if the FBI is after someone they they have to have the goods on them before they even start but it, i think that that's that still doesn't make it i i don't think that really answers all the issues but so many people they they're either tired or even i know wealthy people who took plea bargains for things that i i saw myself uh that they were innocent of but what could they do they're not going it, to it's it's as wealthy as they were it would uh, you know it would cost all of their money to try to fight it so they'll take a plea bargain and go to federal prison for for a year and a half and then they're done and they don't have to worry about it anymore and the, yeah it still haunts them but they it's better than facing 5 years or 10 years or whatever else that they they might be facing the um, but well, Yitzhak, but other, what do you what, what, Yitzhak, hand, what's what's your response yeah. to what Abby said about yeah. them losing the losing their license completely? Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I'll get to that. But on the other no, hand, I, the, the the other problem with this plea bargain system is people who actually are innocent have no have no chance of of uh, getting out. Meaning, and we, uh, you know, unless they get through a lot of uh, appeals and they bring it to to Supreme Court, it takes a lot of work, and most people don't get that far. And they wind up the you know someone who maintains their innocence, and they'll with a thirty year sentence they're gonna they're gonna be there for thirty years unless uh, you know unless uh, the 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 alleged victim or cancer testimony or whatever it is. As far as losing licenses is also, I see two sides to it. Uh, we you know we know that, you know again with the ear miklat that the koyin who's retzayach even b'shoigig he he. He loses his position as a koyin, more or less. He can't, he can't, uh, he can't be doing the voida. Is a lot of things. He's still a koyin, but he can't be metamala mason. He doesn't lose that. But I'm saying all of the privileges of of the kahuna he loses. Um, but uh, I, the the issues that I've seen, you know, on one hand, you know, here's here's what I see. You know, as someone who works in the in the prison system. You know, I'll see someone who was a a police officer and retired and committed a very egregious crime, and they're still collecting a pension from from the city where they were serving as a police officer while they're sitting in prison. There, there's I feel there's something unjust about that. That here we are, the taxpayer are paying to uh, to for room and board for this person who who committed a very serious crime. And and still they're collecting a, a pension even if they earned it. So what I understand is, uh, you know, we had one individual who he was it was from a different state that he was collecting the pension, and 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 incarcerated in our state. But what I know, the law changed about a year or two ago in Pennsylvania is that if the crime was committed in uh, directly related to one's position, again, let's say. We're talking of a police officer, and there are cases like that where they abuse their power as a police officer to uh, to to uh, to accost other people and and to abuse them, and they wouldn't have that opportunity to commit this crime in the way that they did if it was not for their position. And and the same thing happens with doctors and other professionals that their position 
enables them to commit this crime, I think that that might be uh, you know, the pshara that you could say. One thing that just to have a blanket thing that if they commit any, uh, any type of a felony that they lose their license, that I can see it might be taking it too far. But if, if it's directly related to their, their crime is directly related to their p- position and, and it's an insult to the position, meaning that the same thing in the rabbinate, you know, we, I mean, I remember we had one person uh, when I was working down in, in, in the federal prison in Petersburg and he, he was a conservative rabbi and he got, it got a lot of, made a big Hashem was on the, on the television and all the anti-Semites, you know, posted that television show uh, clip on YouTube time and time again. Look, there's a rabbi who did this. And I would just, you know, to be polite to him, I, I'd say, oh, rabbi, how are you? And he said, I'm not a rabbi anymore. You know, after... Okay, so after you, 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 he, you he recognized t- himself that he... That, that he so so you talk, I, I, think, I think I understand what you're saying. I'm sorry for, for cutting you off. But in, 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 in what Rebetzin Tryman was talking about, uh, the one who, the doctor who got caught up in the billing or ended up overbilling or there was so much, you know, they, they weren't that on top of things. Uh, would you say that's an abuse of their position as a doctor? No, I'm talking more, let's say, someone who uh, who is, a, uh, you know, a, a, a gynecologist or a pediatrician who was sexually abusing their own patients. That would be the the type of a case where their their position as the doctor enabled them to commit this crime that that's what i'm talking when it's when it's more like you'd say a blue collar i mean sorry white collar crime uh it's it's a, and 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 the white collar crime they could have really committed no matter what what job they had it, again i i don't think that's directly related to their profession as a as a physician as much as it's it's a lack yeah, yeah, so, of doctors. It's a problem, and they certainly deserve some kind of uh, correction for that, some kind of einish for that. But it doesn't mean that necessarily. So, so in other words, creating yeah, phony, as, creating, as creating. Accountant, if yeah. it's an accountant, though, yeah. and that and 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 that's their job. That that is more directly connected to their position, uh, to their profession. Right. So in other words, creating a phony, agreeing to create a phony patient or to bill Medicare for things that didn't happen isn't so much an abuse of your position of a doctor. It was a way of you know seeing something in the system that you decided your Yetzirah you wanted to take advantage of or you needed more money. But it's, you don't but the, think... But, but hear... the medical profession, as a profession, they have their code of ethics that, that they expect as being a member of that profession. Okay. So it's, it might not be an Einish that necessarily the, the state should be imposing, but, but the, the board of the, the, the medical board, you know, they can make that decision okay. as a professional association. I see. Rabbi Yitzchak, Yitzchak, I know Gershon, thank you so much for your involvement here tonight. And believe me, we're going to be calling you again. And I, I just want to, I just, I have to leave, but there's one word I want to throw out, uh, yes. which I think is an important component to this whole system. And it's, you could probably spend years talking about it. And the word is politics. Okay. I, the, the politics definitely surrounds it. Hopefully this, this might these type of top these conversations will probably help us on this. Uh, Abby, did you want to respond a little bit to uh, to Yitzchok, and then we'll wrap this up? Um, I think we need to understand that we don't want people to go back, and the recidivism rates in America are are something like eighty percent, 
And that is because we don't give them chances. It is not just the losing of a licensure and a job. It's not being able to find a place to live. It's not being able to find a job at all because no one wants to hire you. It's losing a family. It's losing your friends. Um, it's losing the ability to do banking. It, and it's losing your profession that you've had for 50 years. So how do we want these people to re-enter? They're often coming out with mental health and if not before, now they do have mental health after the trauma in prison or addiction issues. They don't have medical care. And then how do we want them to rebuild their lives for good? What tools are we giving them to not go back in? We don't want them to go back in, but nobody's giving them a chance. And so when we say it's just a question to relicense it's much more than that, that we're doing to these people. And that's part of what we do with our reentry programs. Even if they made a mistake, that mistake doesn't define them for the rest of their lives. So th doesn't that mean really talking to other employers till we can get the, the, the boards to give them back their, what they had, but as they're out there scraping and struggling, we need to educate, correct? Tell me if, if this is what you mean. We have to educate people who can give jobs. We have to educate um, shoals that you should not shun these people. Uh, we have to educate, and that's part of what we're doing here in this program. Again, my, my, the, the, you know, the person who in a way is pushing the, our program, Howard Jonas, I know is, is, is very strongly a, a, a believer in not not just chuvan giving second chances, but recognizing that the best uh, element you have is human energies, and those human energies can't just be squandered and wasted. When a person comes out of prison, there there is if you let that person just uh, you know wither away, it's a waste of what that person could have added to society. And I think that. Um, that that's a that's a re-education that we all need. I you know your, your your husband said to me the other day. You took I think you appreciate this. You know that the um, many people say that the you know there's ten commandments and the eleventh commandment is don't get caught, right? And I heard this from your husband, from Rabbi Shimon, and and I think that for many of the people who are shunning the 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 ex-cons as we call them. Um, they are also in many ways guilty of, of, of other types of offenses, maybe not in the same extent, but, you know, as, as we've seen in the political world today, so many of them have, 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 have cheated in, in, in small ways. And I think we all realize that, you know, who without, you know, it's look, I, I know that you, you know, I know your, your wife will appreciate this, but again, who is, who that is without sin among you, right? Let and they're also cast the first stone. I'd like to say also they're not only shunning these people, but it's also their families that are ostracized. Right. It's innocent children that aren't allowed into preschools yeah. or karate programs. It that it goes beyond the person. And and we need to understand that that these people are also not able to find jobs and they're innocent. They are collateral damage. So, so, so in the Jewish world, again, I would assume you and your, your husband would, would, would speak to the rabbis, speak to people in communities. Are you finding, and I don't want to end on a, a maudlin note, on a, on a, on a, a, uh, are you finding that the rabbis and the community leaders are not being responsive to the message that you're saying or just nodding their head but not doing, still not doing enough? 
I recently we've done a documentary and we're taking it out to the synagogues. I think the problem, unfortunately, is harder in our communities than it is in Chicago's South Side. That that people say, well, it doesn't exist in our community. We don't have these problems, and it's not true. Um, Jews do have these problems, and they often leave their communities. Rabbis will not visit them. Often, sometimes won't talk to them, and it's not just on the right; it's also on the left. So oh, I yeah. think our our community needs to develop compassion. I, I I think it might be more on the left, just from my experience. You know the. Uh, in the Haredish world, quite often people who are incarcerated are almost like folk heroes to a certain extent. Whereas, if you're in the Reform Temple, you 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 you're never the rabbi's never going to visit you from from a Reform Temple. To, to uh, you know, we we had you know, I remember you know I, people who were in, uh, in in Petersburg and they were, and I knew the families. I knew it, and they. And they, they said, you know, we, we don't have anything to do with the, with our temple anymore because they don't have anything to do with us. But then they saw, you know, the, the people from the Frum backgrounds were Makar of them, were nice to them, were, you know, gave, gave them time of day. So it's... Uh, right. Well, again, so a lot of work still has to be done. And I think that, uh, you know, again, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy that we had this discussion because I think... The people that will listen to us and hopefully uh, will, will will realize that these are uh, issues that demand solutions. And, and first of all, is owning up that the problem is there. And once that occurs, then we could perhaps have a meeting of the minds and and come together on it. Um, and, 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 and hopefully we will see some change, just like your husband said. It's no longer inmates. As Yitzchok has said, in his prison, there is a lot. It isn't just one size fits all in terms of things. And I think even, you know, what you're doing, I, I think, you know, we, I think we've seen the simonim that things could change. Also, um, also with, with reentry and with, with getting people uh, work and so forth. I was at the Aleph Institute uh, conference with Rabbi Vogel, who was mentioned earlier, and they had uh, some people from, from the Pennsylvania DOC, from the parole board talking about how right now because in the post-covid world a lot of people uh you know they'd rather collect uh, unemployment than try to look for a job and there was a lot of a lot of jobs available that uh no one was taking a lot of these jobs were taken by uh, people who were re-entrants and they're having a very easy time right now which never happened before it just happens to be one of these collateral uh, strange benefits of such a difficult time in, in, in the history of the world uh, that people right. actually are having opportunities now to... Right. And again, they're going to have to learn how to make, how to get by on less, but you're saying, Yitzchok, at least they have some income coming in and they can feel some sort of pride in the jobs that they're taking. And some, um, some, of, them, some of them are having more income than than they ever had, certainly. Uh, in the <laughs> when they were in prison, days. for sure. They definitely get me more than that. Yeah. Um, you know, you, we usually end here, and I'm, you know, Reb, you know, Rebitson, you're probably not familiar with this, but usually we try to end here, and um, you'll be um, uh, hopefully uh, not um, <laughs> turned off by the fact that we usually try to throw in some sort of uh, film or television reference to the ideas that we've been talking about here today. So I want to tell you, when your husband was here about an hour ago, and, and this hour has flown by quickly, uh, I, I, I could almost hear Bogart 
in a film that he was a executive producer for called Knock on Any Door. And it's uh, Nicholas Ray was the director and uh, it was about 1950. Um, it was one of the, I think it was the screen introduction of John Derrick, who was a, a big heartthrob. Uh, you can look him up. And basically Bogart's point was exactly what your husband had said, which was that even though this, this fellow, this Nick character from an Italian family in a slum and uh, who had been run into crime and there was nothing else he could do and um, all the things that, that made that neighborhood so unsafe and pushed them towards what was an inevitable life of crime, you know, Bogey makes that case. And this was a, 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 a film, Yitzchak, that Bogey uh, produced. Uh, yeah, we, we discussed it earlier, I remember. Right. Uh, knock on any door. I think I might have mentioned it. And it's really very much the same idea of, yes, it's terrible that this happened. Let's do something to, to, to deal with those neighborhoods that Gershon was talking about. You know, those Chicago neighborhoods, you know, again, you know, we, we talk about from the George Floyd um, protests, what that did, did those neighbors become any safer? Are we doing anything to, 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 de, uh, to, to de whatever it's called, deconstruct the gangs to do something there? Because that system is, 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 is like he said, it's CEOs of these gangs. Is there any way that those can be dealt with? That's like the big monster that needs to change. And if that monster doesn't change, there's going to be these people that are, that, that, that are the collateral damage. And, um, and again, I think that there, it, it's strange. That was a, a film that was made in 1950. And here we are 72 years later. And, and the message, Bogey's message is being echoed um, by <laughs> Rabbi Scheinman here in the same way. Yitzhak, you want to you 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 sign off with anything that you could think of before we say goodnight? Oh, I, I had some comment about what you're saying again. That that uh, you know, President Trump was working on on these. Uh, they were called opportunity zones to really try to to fix these things. And I think you know, this mentioned that as politics, there are certain people who not only the gang leaders but the corrupt politicians who just have what to gain from from these cities being blighted. I I saw it myself where. Uh, I went to visit another prison in in our Pennsylvania system, um, and the you walk inside the prison and it's the nicest, most beautiful part of the whole city. And the warden, we don't call warden, the superintendent of the prison said that she wanted to send work crews from the inmates uh, out to to clean up the city. And the mayor said, "No, we gotta we gotta keep it a blighted." Uh, city so it so that uh this way we get our our uh our, our government from, funding our government, our government funding, funding. If, if, if if the city looked nicer we wouldn't uh we, we... film uh what's your film suggestion so an ex- example of that of a corrupt government really taking advantage and, and gaining from the suffering of of the people underneath them probably be the classic you know german expressionist uh science fiction masterpiece metropolis uh an fritz old, lang. You know, an old silent yeah, fritz lang fine. silent film and uh and that's just the whole theme of that movie is that the the wealthy people all the way up at the top of the towers living their lives of luxury and and excess at, at the expense of the the workers all the way down and i think the the answer at the the moral of that movie was that the 
the heart has to be the intermediary between the brain and the hands, the head and the hands, something along those lines. And I think uh, certainly we're talking to Hasid Chabad here, who understand that the the Moyach is Shailat Alalev, but also uh, from the other Chatseris, we see that the 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 lave has to be also has to be shoylet both on on, on the mayach and the yadayim you know the yadayim the eitz of a kolkol yankov but the the chovas alavavas the 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 chiv of of the to be a hartzigayid that could be which which everybody we're speaking to today are all hartzigayid and they they could be the answer to uh, to intermediate between the head and the hands yes well I think we've Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.